0: Good morning, beautiful people. This is Nube sharing space with you on Prison Focus Radio at KPOO San Francisco 89.5. And of course, you can tune in to us on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. Again, thank you for being here. Um, I know people are feeling a lot. Um, What I really hope that you're feeling, though, is a place to open up your hearts and get into this fight Um, because it's real. We are in the fight of our lives for our humanity people um, so um, in terms of the work that we do here at prison focus radio we want to keep um, in the forefront what is happening with our people behind the walls and their family how this is really affecting all of us and our hearts are hurting right now i want to give a shout out to everyone that is listening behind the walls we got you we love you we we know what's happening inside San Quentin. We know what's happening. We we called this. Um, we know better. We know that you are people that we love. We know that you are people that love, and uh, we are going to do everything that we can out here to keep the spotlight on what's happening and the just gross negligence of our our officials our elected leaders um, and also we're going to have to understand we're going to have to start embracing people that we um, have also a lot of ignorance about here out here about what this country is based on we there's no mistake as to why we are here when you found a country on slavery genocide land theft and rape And in order to uphold slavery, it was incredibly violent. And now I'm going to say, and you all heard this before, that modern-day slavery is taking place within our prisons. And here's the reason why. The 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution says, which is supposed to be the abolition of slavery, says, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. I am encouraging all of you, as hard as it is, please face the fact that slavery was never abolished. And what you are seeing on the streets, in my view, is... um. a a complete now intolerance for any of the vestiges of slavery that are taking place. Police violence is exactly what is needed in order to uphold this system. Um, Some people are calling it racialized or racial capitalism. I just call it a vestiges of slavery. We are addicted to slavery. We are addicted to slave labor. We are addicted to cheap and free labor. And all that comes with it, we are now addicted to the exploitation and subjugation of groups of people, black, brown, poor, women. This constitution and its founding is, uh, the the constitution is a weapon used against the people who are anything other than white, male, land-owning, rich uh, males. Um so we are in this fight together people so open up your hearts let's show that radical love and um and find your place to get on board uh we we can't sit back and there are many many things to do mostly what people are calling for is to find an organization to get involved in Um, And also educate yourself because you're not going to get educated, educated by the system. They're going to try to keep you as ignorant and as docile and as complacent as possible. So get together with your peeps, people, and um, uh, yeah, and get on board for the fight for our humanity. Okay, with that said, I just want you to know that we are going to be hearing the voices of uh, people from the inside and also some of their family members. Um, so thank you so much for joining me again this morning and uh, we're gonna go ahead and get started. Okay, folks, I wanna thank you for joining us. If you have just joined us, I want you to know that I have Bikini Ayeppo here. Um, she is a sister, she is a wife of, um, her husband, that has been, that is still incarcerated or what I call caged for the last 45 years. Um, and she's going to be speaking with us today, um, together with, we have Lorenzo Benton, who is with us today as well, and um, who just returned to us very recently after being um, caged for 44 years. So, Mikini, we're going to go ahead and start with you. And I know that. Um, You're going to be introducing the uh, recorded piece that your um, that your husband Yafeo did a little while back in uh, 2019. Introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then about
1: Yafeo and what it is that we're going to hear. Okay, perfect. Greetings, everyone. My name is Makini Iapo, um, and my husband has been down for 45 years, um, and he has been, he was in shoe, I think, for 30 years. And so the piece that we're going to listen to is um, an example of some, some statistics on just the people that everyone didn't survive the long term indefinite shoe term. So this is just a number of, you know, I think how many people started off um, when they started the whole, when they did the indefinite shoe and how many people um, survived it. And so, you know, a lot of people did not survive it. Some people went crazy, some people committed suicide. Um, some people um, debriefed, and so this is just his way of just kind of sharing um, what he felt was important for people to know that you know that they they endured a great deal of um, there is not even words of the atrocities that they were subjected to. Um, so um, he just wanted to get that out there, and so I'm just kind of giving a little backstory on what this piece means and how important it is to, to him. So.
0: Okay, so um, and McKinney, before we start, um, just a tiny bit of background because I know there might be some people. Hopefully, and I hope it is some new people that are listening to this. Um, this is all related to. First of all, um, this is we're talking decades of solitary confinement. So uh, they were tortured for decades, and also um, did this take place? This was at Pelican Bay,
1: right? Yeah. So it was at Pelican Bay and Corcoran. So I think in 1985. Um was like the inception of it, there was a killing, and um, clearly, um I mean, based on strategically how this ended up unfolding, this was something that they had in the plans all along. There's documentation that shows that when they put this plan underway, that they knew the the long the detriment of long term confinement um, and with and what the potential potential outcome would be so sensory deprivation, psychological, emotional trauma, um you name it, the list goes on, so. For them to, to know, not know that they, they knew it was going to be the outcome and they you know were trying to destroy them, they were trying to break them. Um, and so a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, when they say Pelican Bay or Corcoran, they must have done something to be there. They did them based on their beliefs and what they thought they might potentially do. They called them the worst of the worst, and they treated them worse than we would treat any dog, any terrorist, anything. So um, what they endured was, I mean, we could go on and on with the stories. I mean, right. they, it, it was just horrific. Um, and, and, and like I said, you know, I think what we need to walk away from this is everybody did not survive. Um, they were housed in these cells that, you know, and now we're looking at like, you know, a lot of them are coming out and they have medical conditions that could be associated with the lead paint and other things. Um, but they were, imagine being housed like not 23 hours, more than that, because what they called a yard was a concrete square with a um, screen um, top, so they didn't get any sunlight, they didn't leave their cells for anything except for, I guess, occasionally they went to showers, um, maybe some legal, but they didn't have any, you know, no interaction, no touching if they had visits, and I mean, you know, so they took them from Northern California up to the Oregon border, I mean, it was a terrible drive, it was very expensive, the flights were very expensive, so just trying to maintain family connection and harmony was nearly impossible. And then what they endured, I mean, and just the feeling of not having any hope. I mean, what they did to them was unprecedented. Like, I mean, they just created um, a situation where they were not able to get out of shoes. So when they couldn't get out of shoes, they couldn't program. If you can't program, you can't parole. If you can't parole, you can't go home. So within that, you know, it's like either you debrief or die. And so now they're finding out even that some of the things that they're using, like the 1030s, um, to say that people debrief, they are not, um, equating with what the, um, the CDC is saying people said. So they're listening to the recordings and comparing it with the trans, um, transcribed report and they're not matching. So they Mm -hmm. know that this is just uncorroborated, um, information. There's things that they have manufactured and that's all coming out, but the damage has been done. And I think, you know, some people have kind of moved on, but some people have not. I mean, you know, So I think, you know, hopefully that kind of gives people a little story on what they did to them and how it just went untold. And so the agreement after they did, I don't know, their third hunger strike um, and they came up with the agreement to end hostilities. um, Finally, I think that enough um, notice and attention was paid by the public that they knew that they were going to have to do something. But we also want to acknowledge that people lost their lives during this hunger strike because it, it, it not only was it in California, It went across the nation. Um, Some people went 56 days. Lorenzo, how long did you go? 59. Lorenzo went 59 days. Imagine that. I mean, so some people just really sacrificed for what they thought could potentially bring. And and he's one of the fortunate ones. I mean, he continued to be who he was and stand straight. But he, you know, he, he programmed. He did what he had to do, and now he's out but we still have a lot of them that are in there and we are trying to shine some light on that and get them, let them all come home.
0: Absolutely. And when we say they, um, I hope people are understanding that the family members went through this too. That's you. You are one of those family members. You're the wife Absolutely. of and I want people to understand that when they're, they're hearing these stories. Thank you so much for that McKinney. So, um, so let's do this. Lorenzo, um, since, uh, do you, would you like
2: to weigh in here on anything um, you want to add to that? Well, first off, you know, my, my birth name is Lorenzo, Lorenzo Ben, But to my fellow loved ones, I know about that D.C.A. role. Okay. And, and I'm one of the many people, you know, who did the hunger strike, and I lasted 59 days. And uh, I'd, like to, you know, I'd like to give thanks to the people who supported us.
3: Mm-hmm. First
2: of all, within the hunger strike, because it wasn't for that hunger strike I wouldn't be here right now. And today, they're allowing many of us who participated in the hunger strike to finally come home. Because we was able to prove the myth to them defining us as being the worst of the worst. You know, that was something that the CDC all created to create an image that we need to be locked up in themselves that we could not program it in a more open environment.
1: Right. And for many
2: of us, none of us have went back to the shoes since we got out. And it was not because we are broken man, I'm saying? We are new men, and as, as to a result of being new men, you know, our values changed over the years, and even though we was committed to the prison struggle, you know, our struggle was more, more than just the prison struggle. It goes beyond the prison struggle. When we engaged in this hunger strike,
4: mm-hmm. a lot
2: of people thought we were doing it for selfish reasons. They thought we was trying to do it just to get out the hole, but a lot of people just didn't realize the reason why I participated in the and many more people in the because we did not want our children, our grandchildren, to wind up like us. Because a lot of us, you know, we had already foreseen that, hey, our faith that we were going to die in them shoes. They was going to not never let us out them shoes. But we didn't want our children and our grandchildren to wind up like us. So, can I? Was, yes.
0: Oh, I just have to, I do this all the time. I'm so sorry, but uh, this just hits me every time. So here you are, you're anticipating. That your children and grandchildren will probably have to go through this, that somehow they are going to be caught by the system, caged, and that if that's going to happen, you don't want them to have to go in, you don't have to have to suffer yet something like solitary confinement. Is that what I'm understanding?
2: That's truly what I'm trying to say.
0: Like because that?
2: Because we knew for a fact <laughs> when we started to die off in them shoes, mm-hmm. after doing them indeterminate shoes, that they were going to replace us with, 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 with our youth. Wow. Oh. Oh, that, that was already in place, and we've seen it coming. Like, I, I had a neighbor, you know, he was dying of cancer, and the CDCR tells him if he ever wanted to see his family members again, he would have to debrief first.
0: Can you tell the people what that means? I know we, we hear it often. But okay, the word that new means mm-hmm.
2: they want them to become a, um, an informant for the state. They want them to tell on everybody and anybody, even to the extent of lying on other people, just to validate what they were doing to us. So, so, so While he,
0: they're torturing you.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this individual, he refused to debrief, even on his deathbed. Mm. So, And they told him right before he died, they said, well, you make the decision when you want to make your last phone call. And a lot of people wind up getting broke under the type of condition. They got sick. You know what I'm saying? They was dying. And the system told them, hey, we want you to inform other people if you ever want to see your loved ones again. Some people surrendered to that. Some... Did not succumb to that. And that was a sad fate that a lot of us was confronted with. But a lot of us, I'm saying, we stood firm to the end. And then when we got cut loose to these main lines, we had shown that, hey, we can program amongst a free society because the thing is, we're trying to make changes for the better for everyone. You know, it's not a selfish endeavor, it's something that we're trying to do for all the people. And a lot of people think that our struggle was just limited to prison. Our struggle is not just limited to the prison our struggle was limited to the streets because we realized the struggle ahead is is we're needed out here. I'm saying the youth out here, they need us out here because we've seen how they've went astray you know, since our absence. So right now, we're trying to be fathers. We're trying to be grandfathers. We're trying to be husbands. We're trying to be brothers. I'm saying to all of our people out here, you know, we realized what the CDCR did to us, I mean, was an injustice. And it's an injustice that we still try to fight against. So I welcome the opportunity to be out here. You know, I welcome the opportunity to share our story because there's many testimonies, you know, just like mine, that need to be shared out here so that people can understand what the CDCR campaign I'm saying, of disinformation has done to us over the years. So I tell people today, hey, I'm I'm enjoying every day. You know, I'm, I'm trying to adjust back to society. I'm trying to be a part of the society that I'm in, and right now I'm receiving a lot of support from the community out here, and this is something that. Those behind the walls, they still need that support. You know, our, the support don't end in jail or out of jail. The, the support is extended to all the people that we come in contact with today. So right now, I'm enjoying it, I'm loving it, and I'm committed to it.
0: Well, we welcome you home, Lauren. Uh, D.C., we welcome yeah. you home, and thank you for sharing your um your, your name with us, that you like to be called, is amongst friends. So we still have hundreds of people that are locked behind the wall. Is that they're suffering a civil death. Like To be denied parole 3, 4, 10, 20 times um, is really an indictment on CDC small r, after, especially after suffering decades of solitary confinement. Um, what do you think about that? Do either of hey, you New want to comment on that?
2: Fenuve, hey, let me share yes. it with you. Yes. I went to board 17 times. Uh, yeah. And, okay. and for 17 times, until this last time I went the board, I was denied parole. Mm. And when I went to parole this, when the board this time, the board informed me that when they went through my file, they had over 2,000 pages of confidential information in my jacket. And I think 2,000 pages—that's a lot of confidential information for anyone. But they told me, and they had to—they had to come clean—that saying that there was nothing in my jacket they indicate that I continue to pose a threat to anybody. So these same confidential information I had in my jacket is the same confidential information they have in a lot of other people's jackets because mm-hmm. a lot of the confidential information they have in the other people's jackets is, is false and it's erroneous information. But they use other individuals as tools in their game to validate their position as far as keeping us in them shoes. And, and to be honest with you, a CO told one of my brothers one time, that they have no problems with people engaged in criminal activity because it's job security for them. So they welcome people engaged in criminal activity. But they said for the brothers that I associated with, you know, when I was in the prison, they said we pose more of a threat to their job security because we're not about criminal, acti- criminal activity. And okay. We're about, we're about bringing about change, positive change. And for a lot of COs, a lot of CDRs, Officials, they're not about us bringing about progressive changes for ourselves, because bringing about progressive changes for ourselves in the communities that we live in that is their job security. Right. They need they need that criminal element.
0: The, I, I read the Thirteenth Amendment, and it says that if you're convicted of a crime, that you're a slave of the
1: state. Yeah, now, I was certainly enforcing that.
0: So, now we're talking about the parole board. This is, it seems like it's just a rogue, um, a corrupt uh, system continuation of a, of a corrupt system.
1: Yes, and then you know what else, Lube? Um, You know, recently, my husband is due to go to the board in April of 2021, um, and he has not made a physical appearance prior to that and since, since 2007. So within that time, you know, a lot of things have changed. But what really is just um, amazing to me is the preparation to go to the board. I mean, and, you know, when you go to these um, parole board preparations, I mean, they tell you everything. Like, you know, they look at your facial expressions, your, your, your um, all, all of your energy. You've got to make these, you know, how do you respond to this? How do you not respond to that? And if you, if your position is, like, I don't deserve this, I don't have anything to confess to, then they're going to hold that against you. So you have to learn how to, you know, in programming to listen, you know, learn how to use their language and their terminology, and really be prepared to have that dialogue. But also be prepared to, so if, if if they upset you, if they say it, if they use a trigger, how do you respond to that? How because gonna are you gonna be held against that? We recently had someone go to the parole board and they deny him because of some of the relationships he has with women. Like he's womanizing women and, and taking money for women. And, and last time I heard, that's not against the law, but they reinterpret their own rules. Right. So it's almost like, you know, how how can I win from this, you know? Um, and, and it's so frustrating because, when like I said, listening to the parole prep and things like that, I mean, I, you know, it's like two and a half hours of them, like, just bearing back your soul. What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And, I mean, if you tell your truth, it might be held against you. Um, they really want to see... I mean, at the end of the day that they are remorseful and they are able to identify and articulate that. Um, how you are able to convey that is really the, your own conversation to have. But getting them to the point to where they're able to do that. The other thing is with this COVID-19, you know, so now nobody's programming. There's no classes. There's no promo. And it's going to be interesting to see now what they're going to do with that time, you know, that people are losing, Right. you know, in order to, to make them compliant. Because they shouldn't be penalized for that. But I mean, right my,
3: my,
1: same, my same argument is this, you know, how do you hold somebody in the hole for 30 years and then when they don't have, when they were not able to program, how can you hold that against them? They couldn't go to school. I mean, they had, I guess, some type of correspondence programs and things like that, but they couldn't, you know, so now they have to get creative by like reading books. And that's what I was telling my husband, like reading books and writing book reports and, um, reading all, you know, a variety of different kinds of books. But I still feel like they're in like this stalemate, like, you know, especially if you're in a space where, okay, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to try and get out of there. But now the whole nation has stopped because of this virus. What do you do? How do they how do they cope with that?
0: Right. I mean, the system is not set up. I mean, because you and you, Lorenzo, you, McKinney, you, uh, Loren, uh, the DC, you two are coming through a lens of, of humanity. You're coming, you're speaking from a place of care, right? You you have this question because these are, these are your loved ones. This is yourself that you see. This is, you know, the people that you've left behind, right? I mean, you see them as as human beings, you you know the work that they're doing. You know um, what it really takes for them to be unbroken, regardless of. We know there's also some damage, and that's why. And that's that's not what's happening in CDCR. That's that is not happening. That um, it is it is based there. It's dehumanizing. Everything that they're doing is dehumanizing. So,
1: and lastly, um, before you progress. Um, Now, you know, when we first started kind of talking in March, we were concerned about COVID going inside the prisons, you know, reaching that population, because we knew once it got inside there that it would just be an incubator for just, you know, all this. And now, two months later, it's it's running rapid, San Quentin, Lancaster, 500 cases. I mean, and it's continuing to go there. And they're not being proactive. They're not doing anything. I mean... You know, the governor said he was going to let out 3,500 people. When right. you have when when, you're when they're when they're seventeen percent over population, their capacity. I mean, but they're so willing to hold on, and they you see the thing is is they know that even if fifty thousand of them die in there, that they don't have any rights, and and, and, it, and it's a pandemic, and nobody's going to take ownership of it. They don't care. So for the family members and stuff, we have to get involved hey, what are you guys doing? What are you doing? I mean, they're giving them these masks that they've made, different facilities, you know, they've made them out of old jumpsuits and things like that. But here's the thing. We all know that those masks are not N95, so they're really not doing anything. So with the exception of washing your hands and keeping, you know, those social distancing, and when they don't really have the capacity to social distance, they're really at risk, and people are coming to work with this stuff. It's just a vicious cycle of, you know what, we're just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, really. You know, in the midst of this, so you know, trying to prepare for parole. I mean, you're not being in a program, and now this virus that is annihilating the whole U.S. is now it's inside the prisons. And who's going to speak for them? Who's going to fight for them? Who's going to? And then the other piece is men are getting like symptoms and stuff. They're afraid to voice that, or they're reluctant. I'm not going to say fear, but reluctant to say, hey, you know, I may be because they don't want to get isolated because for some prisons that means going back to the hole. Yes.
0: Yeah. Which is more tortured and this all then becomes it sounds like it's psychological, but how does it feel or would you be willing to share how all this feels for you because you are out now um and you know your some I mean, of your you know your dear brothers and sisters are still inside and they're dealing with this Hush. well to me you know i'm I'm a building my parents kind of a
2: devilish because I'm feeling the joy of being out here. And at the same time, I'm feeling, you know, the sadness that the brothers that are still left behind, that they are not living the life that I'm living today. You know, because I wish all of them was out here with me. Because, I mean, the joy I experienced. Like, when I printed out the shoe, after doing the Indeterminate Shoe, when I was released to the main line, it's sad, but it's true, I felt free just being on the main line. Mm. So that's what the shoe done to me. I'm still in prison. I'm still subjected to the same torture on the main line I was subject to in the shoe. But I'm feeling free because now I'm, I'm no longer in a handcuff or shackles every time I leave my cell. But I'm, still, but, I, but I'm still under the same jurisdiction that I was, you know, prior to being you know, released from the shoe. Right. But, I, but I felt free on the main line. Now I'm now I'm, I'm out here in society. So you can just imagine how I feel today. So we're,
3: mm-hmm. The
2: other day I stand out in front of the, the transitional house that I'm living in. I'm standing out in front and I got a cell phone in my hand. <laughs>
3: and
2: out here cell phones is legal. So I ain't got to watch my back. I ain't got to be, you know, vigilant about what I'm saying or you know who I'm talking to. You know what I'm
4: saying?
2: Yeah. So that sense of freedom. I mean, just simply standing in front of a house, talking on the phone. But at the same time, I know my brothers that I left behind, you know, they don't have that type of freedom that I have today. And I'm and I'm still not free. You know what I'm saying? But it's limited freedom. So, you know, when I look back at the brothers that left behind, you know, you know, I pray. You know, I pray every day that, hey, this reality that I'm experiencing today, that, hey, soon they will experience it. And I know the fight is not going to be easy because some brothers that left, that left behind, they still might not get out of here. No, right. matter how much, no matter how much they program, they still might not get out of here because the system has to keep something in place to justify us being held there. And believe me, if one of us was to come out here and do something out of the ordinary and do something crazy, believe me, them brothers that we left behind will be penalized because of what we're doing out here. So even, even though we come out here we want to speak our truth, I'm saying there's so much truth that we can share out here right. because if we share too much truth, you know, how's it, we'll know what, what the fall are going to be for those we left behind? And that's something that I fight with. That's something that I fight with every day. So I'm trying to make, yeah. I'm trying to make my reality today, their reality. And uh, I look forward to that day, you know.
0: Yes, indeed. Thank you, Dadisi. We are now going to go ahead and listen to that recorded piece by Yafeo Ayapo ai and the title of this is, Who Shall Speak for Our Survivors? Please Study the Numbers.
4: Subject title, Who Shall Speak for Our Survivors? Subtitle, Please Study the Numbers. Date, Thursday, July 18th. 2013. Greetings my sisters and brothers. My name is Minister Baba Yafeu Yapo I, or the First. I am a captive, black, Nazarite Christian learned elder who has been falsely imprisoned in this state's racist, hateful, and openly anti-Christian prison system for a continuous time period of 38 years, from 1975 right through 1989. But what was or is still even worse. In December of 1989, I was among the first busloads of wholly innocent human beings whom were falsely profiled, targeted, and secretly transferred to the then new PBSP Super Maximum shoe facility as a part of a once secret state sponsored involuntary human research experiments which were specifically designed to carry out a most evil mad scientist scheme of neo-fascist genocide, population control, and domestic torture operations. And behold, pursuant to the two below-key books of sacred scripture, Exodus 1, verses 1 through 22, versus Matthew 4, 1 through 10 and 11, Out of a proposed pool of 100 captive prisoners whom I was personally able to bear witness to, please be advised of the below-factual evidence of state-sponsored domestic human rights violations. Fact 1. From 1989 through 1995, our daily conditions here were so malicious, racist, and hateful that a first 30% of unprotected men here proceeded to go insane, and since a person who is insane cannot possibly speak for our remaining survivors, then who is left to speak for us? Fact two, from 1995 through 2000, our daily ordeals here were so antagonistic, predatory, and violent that a second 30% of unprotected men here wrongfully agreed to become a most despised false witness, snitch, debriefer, and coerced neo-slave with the secret police. And since a person who is a moral outcast, an ethicalist liar, an admitted traitor, and a snitch cannot possibly speak for our remaining survivors, then who is left to speak for us? Fact three, from 2000 through 2005, Our daily realities here were so extremely isolated, discriminatory, punitive, and debilitating that a third, 30% of unprotected men here, proceeded to commit a record number of suicides. And tragically, since any person whom is now deceased cannot possibly speak for our remaining survivors, then who is left to speak for us? Fact four. Based on my math-based evaluation, 30 plus 30 plus 30 would equal 90%, which means if you were able to agree with the above historical facts, then behold, is it not true that between 2005 through 2013 there remains a small pool of still captive human survivors of state-sponsored torture whom are blessed to be still alive Still sane, still courageous, and still committed enough to help draw, write, speak, and teach the true reality-based human horror stories of our past 23-plus years of state-sponsored genocide, population control, torture, and other domestic human rights violations. As such, if anybody ever asks you or needs to know more, about who is most qualified to speak for our captive survivors, then please feel free to advise them that the still captive Black Nazarite Christian-learned elder, whom is known among our faithful as the Minister Baba Yafeu I, or the first, is one of the chosen few 10% of still captive human survivors of state-sponsored torture, whom is repeatedly proven by his words and actions that he is 100% qualified to (laughs) reveal the gospel truths of why and how it became absolutely necessary for over 30,000 still captive human beings to democratically, voluntarily, and peacefully agree to participate in the longest and largest recorded series of hunger strikes, work stoppages, and refuses to attend school or other programs ever to be reported in the state of California as well as across America as a whole. Until next time, peace and blessings. Respectfully submitted, Minister Baba Yaffe Weyapo I. These
2: commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio.
0: Thank you, Noelle Hanrahan, for your great work and recording, getting this recording of Efele Yapo I. Now we're going to take a musical break with Curtis Mayfield, and we'll be back with Mckini and Dadisi to finish up our conversation. I know we-
3: stand around this town and let what others say come true. We're just good for nothing, they all figure, a boyish grown-up shiftless jigger. Now we can't hardly stand for that, or is that really where it's at? We people...
0: nice. If you are just tuning in, this is Prison Focus Radio with Nube on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. I have been in conversation with Makini Ayepo, who is the wife of Yafeo Ayepo. I, um, and they have been um, caged for 45 years. I say they because she is his wife and they are doing this together. He has been inside for 45 years. And DC Benton, who has just returned to us um, within the last month um, after being down caged for 44 years. And here we go with the rest of our conversation. I would love for us to, to end on a positive note because it is so important to when we regain freedom. Um, we want to celebrate that, and uh, DC, I definitely want to give you a chance to to speak on, um, you know, to to stay in that place of really enjoying your freedom and what you can do with that while you are out here. So, Makini, so let's we're gonna we're gonna shift into that place now. And um, um, if, uh, before we go there, I just want to uh, remind people: if you are just tuning in, I am speaking with uh, Makini Ayepo. She is the wife of Yaffeo, um, who has been uh, down for 45 years, and uh, Dadisi, I'm sorry, say your last name, Dadisi?
2: Benton.
0: Okay, Dadisi Benton, um, um, who just returned to us after um, being caged for 44 years. So um, go ahead, uh, Makenia. Let's, let's let's move into, you're going to be doing some stuff for Black August. I would love for you to talk about what you're doing and how you're feeling about that.
1: Hey, um, we're really excited. Uh, We're doing like a compilation, I guess, for Black August for Northern California. Um, So it's going to be comprised of um, different um, subcommittees, I guess, from Sacramento, San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, um, Stockton. Um, And it's going to be a little different this year because of the COVID-19. Everything is going to be virtual, but it's going to really be exciting. We're going to have um, just some really intense conversations um, until on August the 1st. We are going to be talking to um, Katari's wife, um, who was assassinated in uh, San Quentin in 1978 um, after um, sustaining an injury um, playing basketball. Um, and so just some of the details. We're going to talk to his wife and his his son, and they're going to kind of just kind of give us some background on who he was, the father and the man, as well as the comrade, Um we're also going to talk about Mata. Um, everybody knows Mata, um, who we lost so soon, way too early. I um, mean, the work he was doing, and um, we want to pay tribute to, you know, all of our comrades that have left us too soon, um, but with the sacrifices that they made. Um, we're also going to be talking, I think, on the 7th, we're going to talk about Amending um, the 13th. And just have that conversation and break it down in a way where everybody kind of understands what that means, and it's just like one word in that whole segment that changes the whole definition of it. So we're gonna also, we're gonna talk about that, Um we're also gonna talk about the census. Um, you know, now they're telling everybody to you know to do the census, but just having people understand that if the people are that are incarcerated, for example, if their counts went to the communities that they originated from, that's where the funds and the money would go. So just kind of detailing what the census means, the impact of it financially, you know, economic and all of those things. Um, let's see. And and then we're going to have a lot of different conversations. Um, we're going to have like a writing kind of contest where we're going to raffle off like a TV at the end of the month. Um, but it's going to be comprised, like I said, of a lot of different um, com- conversations we are going to be sending out um, via the website or email, different, um, aspiration of affirmations, excuse me, um, to try and get people to be able to to, to make the sacrifice or the commitment to, to be able to do the flea days. Um, that DC still does his flea days every month, which is the day where they fast 24 hours. Um, so typically during BA we class from sun up to sun down, but in the, on the flea days we do 24 hour fast. He still does that every month, not just August, which I think is amazing and powerful. So I'm looking forward. To him, kind of supporting me, <clears throat> it's a challenge, but it's, it's a commitment that we are willing to make to ourselves because the benefits of the fasting and the education and the discipline is something that we can incorporate and use in our lives every day. Um, and, and culturally, as a, as, a, as as black people, as new Africans, like so much has been stolen from us. Black August is something that it's ours. It was birthed in the California prisons, but it is, it hasn't stopped in, in prisons. Um, so we, you know, we are being um, just traumatized outside, and so this is just some food for their soul to help to allow them to get them through it. Understand the significance of who we are historically, who we are today, what we bring to the table, and how incorporating um, the benefits and the disciplines that, of Black August can just enhance their life and just enhance, enhance us as a people. Lorenzo, do you have anything to add to that? <laughs>
0: okay wait lorenzo hold on one look you are getting ripped up i love this i'm so excited about this too one second i just want to make sure um let uh mckinney when what are the dates for that is it straight august 1st through august 30th and is there a website because we want to say this a couple of times okay yeah
1: it's august 1st through august 31st some of our events are going to be um just the flea days, so the 1st, the 7th, the 13th, and the twenty-fourth. First, and then we'll break our fast on the 31st. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, we are going to be doing other things. Um, the website is BlackAugustResistance. Okay. Wait a minute, we're going to have to come back to that. <laughs> wait a minute. Okay, that's okay. The email I got I to look, I forgot. Anyway, but the email is BlackAugust2020 at gmail.com. And I think the website is BlackAugustResistance.com. Yeah.
0: Okay. We will definitely, I just want people yeah. to hear up, okay. But we will we, we'll, we'll get that, you know, we'll make sure that that's straight before we put it up onto the website, folks. So just, just get ready for that. Okay. Dadisi, uh, you you're on. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, she, <laughs> well she, she's a powerful speaker. so I, No I, I, kidding. I, I have to give her that, you know. But like I say, <laughs> you know, I look forward to doing my first BA out here. You know what I'm saying? Because I have never done a VA. You know what I'm saying? I've been doing it since 1979. Okay. And and I be telling a lot of people today that the sacrifice that the brothers and sisters made before us it's not, it's, the sacrifice we make today is nowhere comparison to what they what they sacrificed for us. Mm-hmm. So when I tell people when we when we fast on the first, the seventh, the 13th, and 21st, to me it's not even a, it's not really a, not really a sacrifice. To me, it's, a, it's an acknowledgement of those who came before us, ah. who made the supreme sacrifice. You know what I'm saying, and uh, mm-hmm. we're not we're we're not there. So I tell brothers and sisters today, hey, you know, we should rejoice in NBA because this 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 is our celebration to those who gave the ultimate su- sacrifice. And uh, it's something that you know I look forward to continuing out here, contributing out here, and trying to shine light with other people out here know, what B.A. is really all about, because there has been a lot of misconceptions, you know, what B.A. and when it started, you know, so I want to set the record state, you know, B.A. kicked off in 1979. That was the first B.A. The spirit of B.A. was way before that, but officially B.A. kicked off in 1979. And uh tuta, tuta <laughs> Oh, what was
0: that you just said there?
2: Uh, means we will win
0: ah, oh, that's beautiful in what language okay i i I didn't want to assume, and I also just wanted you know to people to hear that and I love them hearing it from you well do how do you do do you both feel like that we how are you feeling about the moment that we are in like you see what's happening on the streets uh, you know that this is a culmination of stuff of of, of you know of of decades of retaliation violence against the community I, what's happening on the streets do you the 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 calls for you know abolition the defunding of the police you know how are you feeling in this moment do you feel like um black august has um that it's that it's going to get more that this is a good time for it
1: absolutely better absolutely. than last yeah. year for instance mm-hmm It's never a a bad time for it, but hopefully with everything going on now, um, people are open to listening and really receiving it Mm -hmm. Um, and the benefits of it. I mean, to not look at it in a negative way. So you don't look at it like you're giving up anything. You're winning all the way around because you're investing in yourself. We're investing in our people. And how can we lose if if we do that? So I think um, we just want everyone to understand, like, you know, there's a, you know, when for example, when CDC acknowledges they're saying, like, we're trying to inspire or um, killings of guard. it has nothing to do with them. It ain't got nothing to do with them. It's all about us, what they've taken from us, from us commemorating um, our brothers and sisters um, that have, you know, sacrificed their lives. And I mean, countless sacrifices that we will never, ever be able to repay them and that are no longer here, but they were doing the work till they couldn't do the work anymore. I mean, Mata left here doing the work. I mean, like, we were planning for another comrade's passing. We were planning. And instead of coming to do um, a a celebration or a, a home going for another brother, we came for mothers. It was just out of nowhere. Adama left here doing the work. I mean, and I mean, just countless visits, you know, just overextending herself in ways that nobody can begin to understand. So you know the sacrifices and the stand that we've taken it, it was not it was it wasn't a minimal cost and we just want to acknowledge that and for the people that are still in the struggle acknowledge them I do want to take a minute and say you know minister king you know he's been doing a lot for VA so we want to give him a big ups he's rapping he's out there he's doing the work we appreciate him um And, you know, he's coming from a different perspective, you know, different energy, different age group, but we acknowledge him and we appreciate the work he's doing. Hopefully we want to bring young people in. It's not limited to any age group. Everything we bring in terms of just the education and investments, like reading the books and doing the studying and stuff, I mean, that's something we should be doing anyway. You know, they always said if they wanted black people to know something, they put it in a book, Well, we've changed that. You know, we have just some of the most amazing scholars in and outside of those walls and we don't have to validate anything to them, but this is for our own benefit and our own growth. And it's not about them. It's about us, and it's about us extending and loving each other and doing it in a way that's powerful. Because make no mistake, they know the power that we bring as a people. Otherwise, they wouldn't be working so hard to destroy us. So the time right now couldn't be better.
0: Agreed and beautifully well said. Thank you so much for that. Uh, dDC did you... Want to add anything before we
2: before we close out? I look forward to uh, doing this
0: again. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. This is so fantastic. And I love that the people are going to hear this, it, you know, because, and I, 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 I want to thank both of you for being just, yeah, just for sharing. Um, it, you, it, you both have so much passion. Um, there, I, I, Really feel the love. I hope the listeners just really feel the love and um, this real commitment to, um, yeah, for the love of the people, love of self, um, taking care of each other. Um, uh, I've always said it's the fight for the humanity. I do not want to have the last word here, but I just I want to I want to thank both of you uh, for for being here with me today.
1: Well, we thank you and we Truly, truly appreciate you for providing this platform, um, this space for us to be able to say our piece and really just have the narrative uh, filled with truth and, and just authentic. And so we're doing this transparently like, this is who we are, this is our position, this is what we stand for, this is what we believe. And for you to create this space and open it up to us without any hesitation, um, we are truly, truly appreciative and grateful. So for that, I say, my sister. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Ashe. Adisi, thank you so much, too, for, um, you know, just for sitting down and, and being here today. I appreciate you.
2: All right. And, uh, one more lesson for your audience. Uh-huh. Asante a- 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 <laughs> sana, which means a thank you very much.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's our show, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me today. Please don't forget to visit our website, the California Prison Focus website at www.prisons.org, and visit the calendar. You can also get our archives of um, the not only the Prison Focus newspaper, but also any of the shows that you may have missed here on KPOO and Prison Focus Radio. Please also write to us at California Prison Focus. 4408 Market Street, Suite A, Oakland, California, 94608, and get that newspaper, prison focused newspaper. Also, go to the website and make a donation. Um, Don't forget to visit me every Friday on Facebook Live, the California Prison Focus Facebook page, every Friday at 10 a.m., where I give you some updates on what's happening with Liberate the Caged Voices um, and just what's happening with our folks inside. Um, let's see. I think that's it. Um, have a beautiful week. Please stay safe. Know you are love and we are in the fight for our humanity. Yes, Ubuntu.